Available at farmnewsnow.com or wherever you find your favorite podcast. Agriculture through a modern lens. This is the AgriPod with Alice McFarland. On this episode, agriculture is one of the fastest growing industries in the country. Canadian Western Agribition wanted to shine a spotlight on some of the movers and shakers in the sector. CWA initiated the Top 50 in Agriculture program as a way to recognize the best, the brightest, and the boldest in agriculture. CWA and Farm Credit Canada started the search last year by asking for nominations across the country. A panel of judges then picked the top 10 finalists in the categories of mentors, upstarts, innovators, dealmakers, and designated hitters. Kim Keller from Saskatchewan made the list in the upstarts category. I talked to Kim about her work in the areas of technology and mental health. Statistics Canada used the recent Canada's Agriculture Day to talk about some of the accomplishments and contributions of farmers and workers in the food industry, especially during the challenges of the pandemic. The gathering of agricultural information has a long history in Canada. The data collected is used to generate numerous statistics about agricultural commodities, food, land use, farm finances and much more. Sebastian LaRouche-Cote is the Assistant Director with the Agriculture Division of Statistics Canada and he'll tell us about why the information gathered is so important, how the stats are compiled and who uses it. After the break, Kim Keller. Digging into the topics that matter to you. The AgriPod with Alice McFarlane. I'm speaking with Kim Keller from Melfort. Well, I will say Gronlid Melfort because the family farm is at Gronlid. Kim has been named one of the top 50 in Canadian agriculture. So, Kim, first of all, uh, congratulations to you and uh, your reaction to that news. Well, thank you very much. And, um... It's quite an honor, and I'm pretty thankful that I get to be a part of an industry and that I have been given the opportunity to be a part of shaping it. That's a pretty incredible position to be in and a great opportunity, and I'm going to continue to do my very best with that opportunity. Did you know that you were being nominated? Um, I did know that I was being nominated. Um, The person that nominated me reached out and asked if that was okay, and I said, sure, but I I didn't think that I'd actually be selected as, as one of the top 50, so it was quite a surprise. Kim, you grew up on a farm near a small town in northeast Saskatchewan, and originally you didn't see agriculture as a career or a way of life when you left high school. So what changed for you? That would be very accurate. So uh, growing up, you know, I was part of the farm, I was a regular farm kid, but I didn't see myself as being, you know, a part of this industry or a primary producer. And that changed back in uh, 2011 when I'd actually seen one of my friends farming with her dad. And I, it was just a bit of a light bulb moment where I thought, hmm, this is something that I could actually do. And that started my journey back to the farm. And I had a, a trial period back at the farm uh, the fall of 2011. And from there, it just sort of took off. And at the same time, uh, following that trial period, actually started the process of um, building Pharmacand. So for a few years, I we built the company Pharmacand, but I also was a part of the family farm. And uh, I came back to the farm full-time uh, in 2016 following the uh, the sale of Pharmacand to another company. Okay, I do want to talk about Pharmacand, but first of all, when you came back to uh, the farm, did you get the quote-unquote garbage jobs, or were you doing a little bit of everything when you came back? 
Uh, so when I came back to the farm, I was actually still working full time. So I just took holidays uh, from my job um, during the harvest and I actually got thrown on the grain cart. And my very first day back at the farm, we were actually combining oats. And I got a, uh, a carding lesson from my dad, and I still tease him about it to this day, and it was quite the trial by fire. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, my brother, who is retired, is uh, sometimes a part-time grain cart operator, and we often say, you put the best and your smartest people on the grain cart. So good for you, Kim. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, let's talk about Farm at Hand. I think a lot of people are going to recognize your name with involvement with that. What was it about this particular program or idea that really sparked with you when you weren't really completely connected with the farm anymore? Right. So um, after my my trial harvest back at the farm, I went back to my regular job and I actually got connected uh, with someone um, who later became my co-founder, Himachu Singh. And he just started to ask me a bunch of questions about the farm because he didn't he didn't know anything about agriculture and definitely nothing about primary production. And uh, he asked me one question and he asked, well, how do you guys keep, like, that's a lot of grain. Like, that must just be, like, bins and bins and bins. Like, how do you keep track of that? And I said, well, we keep track of it, you know, a big sheet of paper on the kitchen island and we update it. And he's like, he's like, well, don't you, like, don't you have a program for that? And that's what sparked the whole notion of farm at hand. And um, we initially just built it for my farm. And um, because like I had zero knowledge or um, expertise in, you know, any sort of software development. And uh, it's just the more we got closer to launching it and the more work that we did and the more questions we were asking, um, more people were asking to use it. And keep in mind, this was a time before, you know, digital ag was really a thing or there was really any apps for farmers beyond sort of like weather. So it was quite the novelty. And so we decided, you know what, people are asking for it. Let's just put it up on the app store for, you know, for free and whoever wants it can can use it. And um, I think within a couple of months, we had like 500 downloads. And then we started getting questions from other people in the industry um, saying, you know, I market grain, how can I use this with my customers? And that's when we realized there was actually an opportunity for a business. And um, there was just a bunch of opportunities that came after that to continue building the business. And we didn't say no to any of those opportunities. And that's why it ended up being, you know, the success that it was. And then in 2016, there was an opportunity to um, sell Farm in Hand to another company. And, and we decided to do that. And uh, shortly after that, we both ended up leaving Farm at Hand and we kind of pursued our own other things. And farming was what I wanted to pursue after that. You are one of the founders of Do More Egg, And that really started with a tweet. And I'm sure many people have heard the story, but uh, I think it it's really important to talk about why it's important to start talking about mental health. So maybe just run us through how that that whole process started. What people don't know is um, my work in mental health actually started, you know, before that tweet, before Do More, and it actually started with Farm at Hand. And it started with our team at Farm at Hand. And that was in 2015 when we launched a t-shirt campaign. And I will say that that t-shirt campaign uh, got a much different reception than than the tweet did. There was a lot of companies that didn't want anything to do with mental health. They thought it was too negative. They thought that we should just be quiet. We were trying to um, we were trying to paint uh, agriculture in a positive light, and they didn't 
the idea was that talking about mental health would diminish that. And, you know, of course, we didn't give up. We decided, you know what, we'll do it without, without you know, industry support. So we ended up doing that T-shirt campaign. And we raised, I think it was something like $7,000, and we donated it all to the Farm Stress Line. And we continued that. And when I left Farm at Hand, they, you know, they, of course, kept kept that campaign. And so I sort of left my work in mental health behind uh, on that sort of level. And then it was in the summer of 2017 when I received a message from someone that had saw that campaign and they had just lost a farming client to suicide. Um, and he reached out to me thinking that I would absolutely be able to help. And it kind of struck me that I couldn't help. There was nothing that had really changed in two years. And in that moment, that was sort of my moment of, okay, this is enough. This is enough of the notion that, you know, suicide is a cost of doing business in agriculture. That shouldn't be that way. And I had sort of had enough at that time. And that's when I sent out the tweets. And um, it sort of opened the floodgate to agriculture saying, you know, this is enough and we want to do something and we're not willing to, to stop until, until things change. And good on you for being persistent because it has helped and continues to help a lot of people. And it's really expanded now into some of the training that's going on in rural communities, which is a real concern about the availability of mental health help in rural centres. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So one of the first things that we did um, was we identified that obviously there are many parts of supporting mental health um, across the spectrum. And we tried to identify the areas that we could impact. And a part of that impact was creating awareness and um, destigmatizing mental health and mental illness uh, in our farming communities. But the other part was also providing people with education. And part of that comes through our community fund where, you know, communities across Canada are able to apply for mental health awareness training uh, that we offer called Talk, Ask, Listen. And they can also apply for mental health first aid. And I believe that as of today, we have um, we've trained something like 60 to 70 communities across Canada with either um, mental health first aid or talk, ask, listen. Kim, you are part of uh, a, an amazing group of 50, but really some incredible women um, on that mm-hmm. list as well. Have you had the chance to cross paths with many of them? Uh, there are a few that I've had the opportunity to work with or become friends with, and um, I'm pretty proud to be a part of that group. And it was interesting to me that a lot of the upstart uh, category that I was nominated in was primarily women, and I think that that really showcases the direction and the changes that we're seeing within agriculture that we're becoming a more vocal and um, a more seen part of the industry. And I'm really excited to see, you know, how that changes next year, five years, 10 years. And egg really has opened up more opportunities for women as farmers and in several ag occupations. You're a young woman. Are you seeing more acceptance in this industry in the time that you've been involved, from the time that you've developed this program and come back to the farm? Are you seeing changes? I am. I think that... We're still at the tip of the iceberg. I think that we have a lot of work to do. And, it's you know, it's not just gender-related. I think that we have a long way to go in terms of diversity and inclusion and equity across the industry. 
but I am hopeful because I do see things changing. Um, I just know that we have a lot more work to do, so it's going to take a lot more commitment and persistence and consistency from a lot of the leaders across your uh, across agriculture to really make those positive impacts and those changes. So, Kim Keller, what's happening for you now? Obviously, the farm, things are uh, a little quieter right now with the snow on the ground, but um, what are what are you busy with? Yeah, so um, obviously I farm full-time, but I also do continue my work in ag tech as a part of um, the Climate Corporation team. So most of the winter, I actually keep myself busy um, doing that as well as whatever is needed from me on the farm. Kim, congratulations again on being named to the top 50 in Canadian agriculture and best of luck to you in the future. It was great talking to you. Thank you so much. After the break, who really uses the information that's collected in the Agriculture Census of Statistics Canada? The Agriculture Division's Assistant Director, Sebastian LaRouche-Cote, will talk about why they gather information and why it's important for the industry. Digging into the topics that matter to you. The AgriPod with Alice McFarlane. I am speaking with Sebastian LaRouche-Cote, who is the Assistant Director, Agriculture Division for Statistics Canada. StatsCan is celebrating the work of farmers with statistics. Uh, stats aren't exactly something that a lot of uh, farmers are all that thrilled about. So we're going to talk about why the work that uh, your organization does and why it's important. So I guess, first of all, tell us a little bit why it's important for farmers to respond to surveys and what information is is gathered from those surveys. Uh, good question. Well, first of all, um, I, I think I'm going to start with the, um, the, 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 the fact that uh, we're, we're in a pandemic situation, and I think that, uh, and I want to emphasize that the answers that are provided by farmers uh, are more important than ever. And um, one of the reasons is because, um, of course, we keep a close eye on things like the, the integrity of the food supply chain. We want to make sure that the food supply chain is, is strong in the country, and uh, um, you have governments and the federal government included um, is keeping a close eye on um, on the um, the, the integrity and the strength of the food supply chain, and uh, especially in COVID times. And one of the things that they need, of course, to to look at things like that is, is data. Um, and so, and this is something that they do, of course, on, on a regular basis. Um, that that's not that that's not as if we're never looking at the, the food supply chain, of course. But it's more important than ever. And 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 I think that that's the first point that I wanted to. To mention, the other thing is that the uh, you know organization like um, Agriculture Canada are using um, information collected for um, a variety of uh, to develop a variety of support programs for farmers, um, and also uh, a lot of data is needed um, for that. Uh, and of course, yeah, the um, the, uh, the it's being used for a variety of other reasons by farmers and and private association and private organizations to see. Um, uh, what 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 are the emerging trends, for example, at our level of competitiveness in certain types of industries and certain types of crops and things like that? Um, and it's even used in trade negotiations and for legislative purposes. So there's it's really used for a wide variety of uh, of purposes. As for your second question, um, uh, which is which is what do we collect? Well, it's extremely wide. Um, we we have uh, many many surveys. Um, Tens of surveys, actually, um, essentially that can be divided in three large groups. Um, the first is crops. 
second is like stuck in the third is commodity. So um, I think I think it's not going to be a surprise to anybody that agriculture is a very 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 diverse um, industry, and so we need to have, we need to provide a very comprehensive picture. And if we want to provide a comprehensive picture, well, that you need you need a lot of surveys to do that. Um, and and so you have surveys about livestock, about uh, you know uh, about dairy, about about um, poultry, about about uh, you know uh, we have a crop assessment program. We um, we have surveys about fruits and vegetables, about maple production even. Uh, so so it's extremely extremely wide ranging number of surveys, um, and uh, which has been going on for a number of years really. Um, and we want to thank um, Canadian farmers for, for helping us with gathering all this statistical information. Sebastian, the crop production statistics are just part of that information that's gathered. Uh, maybe you could just explain what the crop production numbers were for main crops and how that information is used. Sure. Um, well, um, again, I'm, I'm providing you with the with recent numbers, and, and I don't have all the numbers on top of my head, but just, just to give you an example, um, if I look at the November um, estimates of the production of principal field crops, in 2020, uh, Canadian farmers produced 35.2 million tons of uh, wheat, for example. Uh, and we have um, that kind of information for um, all types of different crops. Uh, canola, for example, was, was uh, the production was 18.7 uh, million uh, tons. Um, and in general, uh, the, the, we've seen an increase in the production of uh, principal crops uh, over the past uh, year. And, um, and the weather apparently has been one of the factors for that. Uh, but it's so far, it's been so. It's been a good year. 2020 has been a relatively good year for for crops, uh, in spite of the challenges that the COVID-19 brought for uh, for farmers. We don't have all the numbers for the um, the rest of the commodities. We do have some for fruit and vegetable, uh, and it was down by a bit. And this is a, a um, as you know, this is a a um, a, a uh, an area that relies on um, temporary foreign workers a lot. But despite that, it was down by a bit, but it wasn't down by much uh, in 2020. So all this to say that the food production, um, crop production and commodities, um, at least on, on that, on that, um, for that aspect, uh, things, things uh, were relatively good in 2020. Uh, but again, I mean, uh, we, we're, gonna, we're going to see a number of releases over the course of the year that will tell us a more, more fulsome story as to what exactly happened for, uh, for the various um, industries um, in agriculture. I'm glad you brought up the vegetable production side of things and temporary foreign workers. Does Statistics Canada collect data on on temporary foreign workers? How many come to the country? How long they're here? That type of thing. We do, although, although, of course, again, I mean, um, we're in the early stages of collecting um, information on that. Um, we saw that um, in, and, and the issue with that is that it's all based on administrative records. So we don't necessarily have the most um, recent information in terms of how many were there in 2020. But according to earlier estimates, um, I have the numbers for 2018, and we had in this country, we had about 65,000 
temporary foreign workers, uh, which represent a large proportion of the 250 or a quarter of a million people working in primary agriculture industries. Um, so that, that's, uh, it is definitely an industry that relies a lot on, um, on um, temporary foreign workers. And so, and that's all part of the, um, uh, of the issues. And it's one of the issues that we're, that we need to continue to monitor going forward. Uh, especially as to, given that the pandemic is, is, is still there with us uh, and that Canadian farmers continue to face, uh, face issues related to that. This is a big year. The Census of Agriculture will be conducted. What questions are asked in that survey? Farmers love paperwork, ha-ha. Uh, <laughs> can you give us a sense of how long it would take a farmer to complete the census? I do. Um, well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to answer your questions in order. So the first, uh, the first question about what we're, we're asking, um, well, there's, there's, I, I'd say there's three types of questions. Of course, there's, there's a lot of questions. There's about 50 questions in total. No, sorry, 75 questions in total. Um, and, um, but, to, but farmers don't necessarily answer them all. And then that will be part of the conversation I think we're going to have later on um, in this, in this uh, podcast. But uh, essentially, you have questions about um, production of horse. So there's a series of questions about what you produce, and that can be about crops, livestock, commodities. Again, I mean, that's, uh, that, that's what the census uh, does every five years. We have questions about land use and land management practices. Um, we also have questions about the farm operating, uh, farm operations, I should say, practices. Um, which include the value of farm equipment, for example, but also things like um, questions on direct marketing, uh, whether uh, the farm has a succession plan, uh, work hours from farmers um, and farm operators. Um, so, so a lot of questions about farm management practices um, and also questions about emerging technologies that are being used um, by, by operators as well. So. Um, it's an interesting census, a lot of interesting questions. As for your second question, which is how long it typically takes, um, we've, we've um, according to our, our pilot and our estimates, uh, it should take about a slightly over 30 minutes for, for farmers to answer the survey, um, uh, the census. Um, so, so about 30 minutes to answer the census. Now, you mentioned emerging technologies. Why does the census include questions about that? Well, we know, we know that the agriculture, uh, that the industry is changing and it's changing fast. Um, so emerging technologies in it, we have questions such as, um, you know, the use of drones, for example. Um, uh, and, um, you know... The, the, the issue is that the more technology that is being used and the more you can you can tell a story about how the industry is changing to to uh, to become more competitive uh, the extent to which we um, we are adapting and uh, um, and that includes other questions such as uh, the adoption of other technology. I'm, I'm talking about drones but I have also um, things like fully um, um, robotic milkers um, greenhouse equipment, um, you know, steering systems and things like that. So it's it's not a very um, it's not a long question, but again, I mean, it's going to provide us with information such as uh, to what extent that certain certain 
uh, portions of the industry are using um, these types of technology, and this is going to be very useful uh, because then we can make comparisons over time. Uh, we can we can examine these issues for um, for various uh, for various types of operations, large ones, small ones, and so on. Uh, there's all kinds of analysis that can be done after that. Now, you mentioned earlier with regards to uh, when we were talking about the census and completing it and maybe that there aren't all those questions that need to be answered. So how has the census changed to make it easier to complete? It has changed in many ways. Um, It's not the first time that the census will be using electronic questionnaire. Right, uh, we've done that in the previous census, and I believe even the one before. But the, the um, but the electronic questionnaire, the use of the electronic questionnaire is actually going up, um, and it's and it's much simpler than using the old paper version. That being said, with the electronic questionnaire, what we've done is that we've introduced a, a uh, what we call a, um, a smart replacement system. So what this means is that we're um, to the extent that we can, I mean, we're linking with other sources of information to minimize the number of questions that are being asked to uh, to uh, respondents. So what this means also is that, um, for example, if, if we know based on our records that you're not producing a certain um, a certain type of commodity, then we're not going to ask you any questions about that. So this this in fact reduces the length of time that you're going to spend in front of your screen answering. answering uh, the sort of the um, the census of agriculture um, because not everybody is doing everything right um, and I think that that's a fact uh, except if you are a very large operation of course but to the extent again to the extent that we can we um, we uh, we've, we're doing things like that we're trying to reduce to the as much as we can the the the, the burden on uh, survey respondents so that that's actually um, something that we um, we want to do more and more in the future and we we're working towards ways to try to replace um, uh, and uh, data to make sure that we're not that we're not asking as, as many questions because on there's the census but there's also the surveys so what we want to do is we want we really want to, re- to make everything in our power to reduce the survey the survey uh, the burden on survey respondents I guess finally, Sebastian, when does this roll out? When we when can we expect this to get rolling? That's a good question. Uh, so, as far as the census is concerned, so we're collecting, we're starting to collect information this May. So, um, uh, you you will hear about this. Uh, we have a communication um, campaign uh, and. Um, we're talking to people like you. We're, we're raising awareness uh, about the fact that the census is coming. Uh, typically, we have a lot of uh, we have a lot of uh, um, uh, we have a good good collaboration from from farmers with uh, with with respect to the census. Um, and uh, so, what happens is that collection takes place over the summer. Then, of course, there's a certain there's there's work that needs to be done to uh, collect all this information, prepare it, and then uh, one year later, then you, that's when you, you start to see the first few releases about the, the results, which is which brings us in May of um, 2022. So that's when you're, you're going to see the first few results from the Census of Agriculture. But then after that, there's a series of releases. So, so we're going to release things like analyses, uh, studies, mapping tools, uh, things like that. So people will be able to recognize themselves and see how they situate themselves uh, via 
the rest of the of the I guess their peers and uh, and be able to make comparisons and uh, look at their situation also in their respective regions because that's one advantage of the one of the advantages of the census is that you can see what is going on in your um, in your uh, area in your region which is not necessarily something we can do with surveys because surveys are conducted at a national level and the sample size is sometimes too small for us to tell a story about what is going on in your in your region. Uh, that's what the census does. It brings it, it, it allows us to tell a story about what is going on at the regional, at the, at the more granular level. And so uh, we're hoping that, that uh, all of this information is going to, to tell a better story, a more fulsome story of agriculture um, in, in places like Saskatchewan and elsewhere in the country. Sebastian LaRoche-Cote is the Assistant Director, Agriculture Division for Statistics Canada. It's time for the weekly Agriculture News Roundup for the week of February 22, 2001. CCAN, Alliance Seed and Another Seed Distributor, announced the biggest plant breeders' rights settlement in Canada to date. The case against a large farming operation in southern Alberta relates to unauthorized ads and sales of PBR-protected barley in wheat varieties. CCAN business manager for Western Canada, Todd Hyra, said they had been creating awareness of plant breeders' rights, and this is part of the education process. The settlement of roughly $737,000 in compensation includes for royalties, legal and investigative costs, and a declaration that there will be no additional unauthorized sales. The Prairie Grain Development Committee met online to discuss research priorities and to exchange information on the development of improved varieties. Wheat breeder Dr. Richard Cuthbert put forward two new wheat lines. He said that HY2095 has a yield roughly 9% higher than AC Penhold. It also is wheat midge tolerant and has good stripe rust resistance. The second variety, HY2096, has strong straw, is 6% higher yielding than Penhold, and has better fusarium head blight resistance and is midge tolerant. Cuthbert said both varieties are most suited for Alberta. Some changes have been made to livestock price insurance in an effort to promote enrollment by cattle producers. The purchase period has been extended by two weeks until June 10th, and the settlement periods move from December to the end of February. SAS Cattlemen's Chair Arnold Balicki said the producers may give price insurance a closer look after some of the price fluctuations due to COVID-19 last year. The policy purchase hours have been extended from 2 until 11 p.m. Tuesdays, Wednesdays and Thursdays. The grain sector is hoping to raise awareness and find solutions for outdated marine port rules. The Western Grain Elevator Association Executive Director Wade Sobkovich says that the port oversight system lacked proper checks and balances compared to other transportation sectors like rail and air. He said terminal operators like the grain elevators have experienced some decisions he felt were unjustified and lacked a deeper level of transparency necessary to hold decision makers accountable. Sobkowicz said that the government needs to act on major cleanup of marine port governance that was recommended during the review of the Canadian Transportation Act. Farm groups are supporting passage of Bill C-206, which would exempt on-farm natural gas and propane use for grain drying and heating from the carbon tax. Opposition parties supported the private member's bill, and as of this episode, it had passed second reading and had moved to the committee stage. APAS President Todd Lewis said its members were concerned about the impact of the carbon pricing system on unavoidable energy inputs like fuel to dry grain and heat livestock facilities.
Attacks on unhealthy food could be one of the trends coming out of COVID-19. That from Professor Emeritus of Food Marketing at Imperial College in London. David Hughes said diabetes and high blood pressure are two pre-existing conditions which can make diseases, including COVID-19, more deadly. Hughes said rising health care costs will also force governments to better push eating options. He spoke during the Farm and Food Care Winter Speaker Series. If you like what you've heard, you can rate and review wherever you get your podcasts. And make sure to subscribe to AgriPod with Alice McFarland for more weekly episodes. The AgriPod is produced by Colby Heiss with host and CJVR Agriculture Director Alice McFarlane and is a division of the Jim Pattison Broadcast Group. Available wherever you find your favorite podcast and at farmnewsnow.com.